I was very social, but I was a very unhappy person. The momentary things that you could do was eat good food, um, see a nice place, but it wasn't really answering the question of what's going to make you happy, right? And I remember someone brought up research and happiness, and I was, I was going through a couple of years of thinking everything was irrational. Mm-hmm. And there could never be logic applied to life. Mm-hmm. And that you could never predict. I was basically dating someone who was like Hunter S. Thompson. Um, and just, you know, those people that push themselves to the edge. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, was, it got to a point it's like, okay, that was kind of a light bulb moment. Be like, okay, happiness, there is a science to it. Mm-hmm. The things that you put in your body, um, how you think. There are books written about this and I had to, that's kind of where I go, okay, like you got to start making a little bit of changes. Welcome to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. I'm your host, Malini Sarma. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the amazing, beautiful, badass women who have been guests on this show. I had a mission to travel to every country in the world. But since that didn't work out, my new mission is to speak to at least one woman from every country in the world. There are 193 countries, and I still have at least 180 to go. So, if you know of somebody who has an amazing story to tell, let me know. I'm all ears. In today's episode, we're speaking with Anna Beatrice Trinidad, also known as Bea. Bea is a young writer, entrepreneur, podcast host, and food lover. Born and raised in the Philippines, Bea moved to Australia to pursue a career, ran a restaurant, and then finally came back home. In this episode, she talks about learning to navigate through the world of relationships, journaling, and how a toxic relationship and her love for food put her on the journey to research happiness. This is her story. Hi, Bea. Thank you so much for joining the show. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So am I. Like, I think we've had a bit of pre-chat before. Um, and I'm, I just think you're such a great soul. So I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you. No, I think we have, we've had so much fun um, talking. I'm glad I remembered to press the record button. Others we'd have been talking long. I know. Time goes by so fast when I chat with you, but I think very few people can make someone feel comfortable. And I think you do that so well. Oh, thank you. Um, so you are right now in the Philippines, right? You were born and brought up there? Yes, I was. Yeah, I was born here, raised here, and... Uh, yeah, I'm a Filipina at heart, I think. <laughs> so tell me a little more about growing up in the Philippines. Uh, what was it like, your family? I know, um, you know, Philippines is very much family-oriented. You know, um, uh, education is very important. Uh, you know, uh, uh, everybody's very much engaged in 
like uh, family uh, businesses together and stuff like that. Mm. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about growing up. What were some of the most memorable experiences as you were growing up? You're spot on though. Like it's such a um, familiar, like it's all about family. Um, when you grow up, you have a big family besides just your immediate, there's relatives, there's friends of friends. Um, we are a big telenovela or like a soap opera and the emotions are so high. Like people always say we're not really Asians, like we're Latinos or like very, a lot of Spanish blood in us. And growing up in that, um, there was never such a boring moment because you had an uncle that was crazy. You had a cousin that was like just the cheekiest um, person. And growing up around that, you're just so open to many characters. And I think the biggest um, the biggest or the best memories for me are really the dining around the dining table. I mean, food brings people together, but in particular in this country, we love to eat. <laughs> while we're eating, we're already talking about what we're going to eat in the next meal while we're still eating. And that was just fun. Like I remember Sunday lunches um, and we would eat and then sleep and then wake up and then chat. It was, <laughs> it was basically a very sloth-like um, <laughs> Sunday and... Yeah, those are always the dining table is my favorite place and just really unites people. Yeah, I I love, you know, the food, I think unites a lot of people too, right? So it's just the process of making the food. I think that's the is the journey, right? That itself yeah. is kind of get everybody together. So uh, growing up, did you have an inkling as to what you wanted to do when you grew up or you know, did you have like role models or did your parents like tell you, okay, this is what we wanted you to do? How, how, how was that growing up? I forgot to mention to you, like when we're talking about dining table, I always think that cooking together is like free family therapy. And I think being <laughs> yes! around, yes. Like, don't even spend on therapy, just make pasta together, <laughs> make a fried rice together because there's so much talking that needs to happen and communication that it's, it's magical, but sometimes it can also be very tense in the kitchen. Um, in terms of role models, I grew up around the kitchen, seeing my grandmother and my mother cook. So it was something that I really loved. It was either, there were only two things that were really boundless in my childhood. Number one is food. It was always around. So I, I thought I wanted to be in the kitchen. And then the second was like books. With my mom, there was the one rule she had, like you with any toy, there was always like a, a budget. Like there was always one, you can only buy one toy. But when it came to like books, she was like, you can buy as many as you want. And to me, that was like the most exciting thing, um, being around books and food. So there were many, I went through many phases as most women do. I, I don't know if there's a lot of women that just get it direct to the point, but I definitely went through um, being a chef, being a uh, restaurant reviewer, and then a writer, and then a journalist, like all these things. But one thing that really united all of that is my love for communication. Um, because as I was young, I really spent a lot of time alone. And I just was very hungry for that communication with my parents, with people, like even strangers. So yeah, in a sense, my mom and grandmother gave me the spell of you know, wanting to work around food. That was the main goal. I said, if I could get paid in food, 
that's okay. I can die already. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, but I, I, I do relate. I can relate. You know, uh, in my, most Asian households, I think food is the most important meal. And you're like, every festival has its own special menu. And, you know, so yeah. I think I think that brings a certain level of excitement um, uh, to the to the whole experience, right? So, um, yeah. you you said you like love reading and you love communications. Is that what you ended up studying um, when you grew up? Yeah. So, initially, I don't know if this is common in your culture, but when I uh, I went to a state university here, and I when I was listing the courses because you could pick three, I chose one of the highest are uh, the hardest courses to get into because I was like, if I get in there, at least it's good, right? <laughs> Parents are happy. The entire family is satisfied. I have not brought any disgrace in them. And then the second one, I picked my mom's course, which is accounting because I thought, you know, as you do, you follow your mom oh, right. or you follow, it was either an accountant, doctor, lawyer, very traditional roles. And mm-hmm. I just knew that I was okay in math. So I was like, I'm going to go for accounting. And then the third, I put uh, mass communication, um, which is kind of broadcasting in this um, this country. And um, I got in accounting. And uh, I started doing all the balancing of sh- uh, assets and liabilities. And I remember, I just remember in college, I was hanging out with a lot of athletes and um, people that like to drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was still doing good in school, but I was not excited with assets and liabilities. I was excited more of the people I hung out with outside mm-hmm. the classroom. So I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got I got my heart broken. Not really heartbroken. It was just like puppy love slash right, right, right. It just felt like the world was going to end. Mm-hmm. And then I decided, okay, I can't be stuck in this in-between of just numbers and going out like mm-hmm. it was either or like I couldn't find the balance of productivity and fun mm-hmm. um, and then I decided to move um, to Australia because oh, wow. um, I lived so close to my college and um, you know you could just walk to my college but I think my parents felt like it was unsafe I, you know in the Philippines it's very sheltered sometimes mm-hmm. you live with your parents for a long time and I was walking one time. I was like, I need to get out. Mm-hmm. I just need something. <laughs> I need something different mm-hmm. rather than walking two or three kilometers, going to school, going back to home, passing a church, and right. just basically see the home, the church, Same the education. Same view every day, all the time, nothing new, right? Yes. I don't know if you can relate. It's just, I it can. traps you a little bit. So yeah. what were your parents' reaction when you said, I'm going to move? To Australia, or did you have to like come up with a plan and should make sure that you know they were okay with it? You know, did they help you fund it, or did you have to fund it yourself? So definitely, um, there. My parents are always you need a plan, no mm-hmm. matter what. So if I wanted something, you got to bake cookies to get it, and all those little things. Mm-hmm. And so when I said I was going to move to Australia, I think they didn't think I was serious. Uh, but they said, okay, you can go, but you have to go where your auntie is, which is in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. It's like, not the point. I want to be away from everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and But I compromised because I was trying to apply to Sydney, Singapore, the US, all these different places. Like, I'll compromise. I'm going to go to Melbourne. 
because that's the closest thing. As an eldest child, I think your parents are stricter with you than oh, any yes. other child. So I, I, you know, you learn. But why? But why Australia? To- why Australia? So my auntie was there. She was living in Melbourne with her um, two kids and my uncle. And I guess my mom just knew that if I were to move there, she wouldn't have to worry, worry so much. Okay. okay. Yeah. So um, she didn't really believe me. I think they didn't believe I would actually proceed with the plan. And I did like a week before a week before school started in Melbourne. Um, someone wrote a letter like, you have to be here. And I was like, okay, I'm going. Bye. <laughs> um, and I think they were a bit shocked, but they kind of knew I was that kind of person that just if I wanted something, I'd just get it done and they'd just hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was lucky enough they did help me out. Um, and yeah, they I think they were pretty supportive about that. But you ended up staying there for almost 10 years, right? Yes, I was supposed to stay there for two to three years, and then <laughs> to the detriment of my mom, every time she would ask me, "When would when are you going home?" Every year, I was like, "I just want to work for a bit," you know, whether it was a waitressing job, a media job, like I just I loved the life so much, or the the freedom, or the way you could explore yourself in a sense that not your entire family was on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of trying to shape you mm-hmm. um that i just you know you get addicted to a place so yeah. uh, <laughs> so, so help me understand uh, and i think and i think i do know the answer because if it's anything like the indian culture like you know when your family's around so it's like you go to the market and then the neighbor sees you with somebody and they go home and tell your mother's like guess where i saw bea <laughs> or you know you're in the movie theater and it's like oh she's with her friends it's like everybody's keeping an eye on you. It's like everybody's in everybody's business. Is it kind of like that in the Philippines? Yes, for okay. sure. I think when we were young, like, you know, when you get a little bit of trouble, uh, you know, I loved escaping from school, not to meet boys, but to get food. Mm-hmm. I was always just <laughs> going across the road to find a lunch that I wanted because okay. I didn't like the food in the canteen. And uh-huh. I remember we got caught, like a big group of us. Some people were going out for boys and I was going out for French fries. And they're like, you went out for French fries? Like, I was like, yeah, it was, it was a joy. Like, you know, it's the simple things like mm-hmm. sneaking in a bag of fries and being right. like, well, I have something that no one else in school has. Right, right. Um, so everyone is in your business, but I think they do it sometimes in a, in concern or right, in judgment right. so it's a you don't know sometimes the judgment is masked as concern and vice versa true um true, true, yeah true. definitely my mom and dad would be on the speed dial of a lot of people just, <laughs> oh i um, can imagine but, so you you got into a lot of trouble uh i would say i was a pretty uh good kid but i okay. would say i'd have a streak of rebellion that maybe they weren't aware of Ah, Um, a little bit but in in the books and on paper I was okay okay it's cool (laughs) I was a pleasant child (laughs) so so your love for food is that what trend is that what uh translated to you wanting to start a restaurant because you started a are you a co-owner of a restaurant in Australia how how did how did all of that come about 
Um, I was always around business people. So my mom and dad were heavily into business, like restaurants and a culinary school, as well as my um, entire family. So I was around it so much. And every time our family would travel in Australia, there would be so much businesses that were progressive. So we would spend time looking at restaurants, cafes. So it was kind of imprinted in me that at some point I would do business. Um, yeah, I never really knew if I wanted it. I just knew that I, w- I was surrounded by it. And mm-hmm. it was what I knew you could earn money from mm-hmm. or have built a life around. So it was just at some point it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I did meet a, a, a man in Australia, a chef, and that was pretty much where it started. Um, having our restaurant together and I would say um, getting worse than getting married <laughs> I'm not worse but like being in business together is pretty much like being married getting because married. You're, a, yeah. you're always together you have to make all your decisions together right you have to get approval from each yeah. other for doing everything yes I mean I think you see a lot of like the true test of a person through that and Um, when I look back at it, I don't think we should have done it so early on. Mm. Um, I don't know if we did it. I honestly forget the date, but I think it was three to five years in. Probably mm. three years in, we did the restaurant. And I would say um, it was a good experience, like really telling experience. But it was too early on. I wouldn't recommend people get into business with their partner so quickly um, without really knowing the kind of person that you're with and more of the compatibility of your values and all that jazz so you would say <laughs> so you would say um you would the the it the, um the i let's put it this way your partner's your compatibility with your partner is more important than whatever business you're going into because that will decide how you approach problems and how you solve yeah. them? Yeah, for sure. It's like how you see people, how you treat people, how you see money, how you see um, situations. And it's okay to have differences, I think, as long as you can talk about it in a calm manner mm-hmm. um, and no other um you know, substances or toxicity comes in the relationship mm-hmm. um, and resentment. Mm-hmm. I, I think when the resentment starts, you need to understand why you resent each other. Right. Because if you don't, then it starts to build up. Um, because in my head, he was a chef. And in my head, like I had a family business that was restaurants. So I kind of thought in my head, I understood, mm-hmm. but you I'd like maybe 20s you have so much growing up to do right. and it was probably better that I learned from someone else in the industry that was not my partner rather yeah. than learning from your partner because it is a grueling experience for him and myself like both of us like you know I'm trying to learn from him but maybe he's not the best person to teach, teach. me in this yeah Yeah. It's kind of like you never learn how to drive with your husband because he's the worst teacher. Ever. Oh, yes, I've seen. <laughs> I've seen. How is, is it hard for you to learn? Did you learn driving through your husband? Or? Oh, 
Oh, heck no. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, like you said, (laughs) you learn from somebody else because then, you know, because all the yelling and the screaming Mm -hmm. that happens. (laughs) It's not worth it. Like, it's just so, like, you lose a lot of, like, what they say is like, oh, have a day of for date night. And it's like, how can you? And you're talking about, like, payroll or you're looking at, you're thinking about business and then, like okay let's watch a movie after it yeah 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 yeah. it's challenging it it, you know because i do know rest being in a running a restaurant is one of the most difficult and uh hard working you know it's like you have to put Mm -hmm. so much of effort for that to be a success and most businesses especially restaurants fail in the first six months right because it's it is continuous. It is day in and day out. And you, there's not a day of rest. When you're resting, you're probably going to the market and buying things or testing new recipes or, you know, the kind of things. It is extremely difficult to run a restaurant. So, And you were able to do it yeah. for five years? Five years. So I have to say that, you know, when coming into a partnership like that, there has to be an agreement of time and how much effort, because in my head, I was going to work a full-time job and I was going to do it at night and I would try to do it in my free time. Mm -hmm. So I was working in media and my um, other partner, he dedicated, he really focused on the business. And when I look at it, it is very uneven. And I think we didn't agree on that. And maybe that's where the resentment built because I would have a life outside of it while the other person really just involved themselves in one thing. Right. Um, yeah, it was, I would say it would have been really, it was a lot. I think at 20s when you still wanted to just enjoy yourself, meet people, it, I think it does trap you. But I also feel for the other person because there was no other. There was no other. There's no escape. It was, other was job it. for him. Right. Yeah, I had an escape in some sense, but maybe that's where the tension was from between the two of us. So what happened uh, after you shut it down? Did you just come back home? Did you stay over there? What 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 happened after? Um, it was a few more months, but I decided I, when we sold the restaurant, um, I was going to move back. Um, so I, I think that was about three years or so ago that I moved back to um, the country and he came with me or three or four I think four years already that he moved back with me and it was we were I remember so clearly we were in a Italian restaurant and we were talking about our plan to move back and already we've had issues then uh, but we discussed that we would make it work no matter what because we spent so much time together mm-hmm. and I'm a very optimistic person, maybe by default and or by, you know, sometimes it's good to be a realistic, mm-hmm. <laughs> to ask yourself a lot of questions. So mm-hmm. I was like, no, it's okay. We were in a, we were eating pasta. We went, we walked in a park and I just thought, okay, this is going to work. It's just the two of us, right? Like mm-hmm. we trust each other. We've been, we already got through all the 10 year, I mean, the long, the long haul. And I said, we're going to make it work. But I underestimated the ability to, I think, his personality and his values. I I underestimated the difference of our values because I thought if he came here, he would be flexible or the people around me would be flexible to him. 
He was not Filipino. I just thought he was not a Filipino. Yeah, he was. He was Australian, um, and yeah, I just underestimated the the difference. Like you know, Australians are very individualistic. They don't hang out every Sunday with their family. Very few Australians do that, and he did not understand that when he got here because, like you said, every family person is in your business or. They are involved in your life, right? Um, and I think when he got here, there was really not enough time to spend together. And I was working in the family business, and if we did, it was very isolating because it was just the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was really hard for him because this is a very polite country, uh, right. very pleasant, very cheerful, very. They're, they don't like tension that much. There mm-hmm. are fights, but you wouldn't naturally have an argument in the dining table. Mm-hmm. It would be all laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Australia, he was very used to conflict and tension mm-hmm. and just bringing up how he felt. And in this place, it's considered sometimes rude. rude. Or yeah. Private un- business ungrateful. is private business, right? Yeah, it's, un- you know, I was also very, I think, immature to handle the situation um, because I I allowed everyone to get involved mm. um, rather than just keeping it between the two of us and protecting the other person as well. Um, yeah, it, I think that was that's a there's a cultural difference too, right? Because when you're there, you were following whatever rules are over there, but when you come back home, is like completely yeah. different. You know, you're in the, you're in the, he would have been in the minority and that would have been hard. It's, yeah, it, it, it was, hard. I think it was very challenging and very a lonely place for him. And to me, it was like, oh, you can handle anything. We, I can handle anything. We've been through so much. What is this? It's just the last haul. But it, it just became so clear the difference of, uh, how we treat family, how we see um, raising children, how we see business, and so many. There were moments of it was um, it worked, but there were moments that were very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, yeah. And so, uh, the relationship ended up being really toxic for you. To at at some point, you're like, okay, this is this is it. We're done. And how how did you come mm-hmm. to that decision? It must have been so hard, especially when you spend so much time together. Yeah, it went by so fast. Like he was, you know, I stayed in Australia for 10 years and majority of that was with him. So a lot of the memories were tied into that. But I already had glimpses in the beginning, but sometimes you just ignore it because you think empathy or patience or caring for people is the ultimate um, definition of love and concern. And I just started to notice that it was getting toxic when there was some sort of abuse uh, emotionally and kind of physically. Um, because we did run a bar, there was a lot of alcohol involved. And I didn't think that would bring the best out of both of us mm-hmm. because I am a very calm person, but I think some rage came out of me and the same with him because so much resentment was there. And it just got really abusive in a sense that um, you never think it's going to happen to you. 
you never think like you always think I'm going to be the good person. Like when we fight, I'm going to be very calm. But when it happens to you, let's say when you first get hit, like are you um, when there's yelling, you get shocked and you're like, oh, it's just the it's just the alcohol or it's just the 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 spur of the moment. Um, so it was a long time coming. I think it was 10 years. We had kind of a split halfway through. Um, and then I went, I forgave him or like we decided to reconcile. And I think I should have just stopped it there, but I kept going. We keep finding <laughs> excuses, right? We're like, no, maybe one more. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's me. Maybe it's like, yeah, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was 10 years of basically finding a way to be like, okay, it is, you can't manage this person. You can't control what he does. So it's you, you can control and you can, um, you can handle situations differently. So I always thought in some sense I had a role to play and maybe I did. And for sure I did like it takes two, right? But in hindsight, when I look at it, I should have just um, pulled the pin, you know, just stop the abuse of unhappiness because I thought every time if this got even a fight got resolved if I um, if we fix that the abuse would stop or the fighting would stop but there was something in the fighting that was some completely different from what the issues were um, and it's the level of unhappiness or unsatisfaction of the other person and you can't give them that right and I, I in the last year of him being here, it was just constant fighting. It would either be really, really um, relaxed, but it would only have to be the two of us and no one else or just tension. Um, And I started to think like, this is really no way to live. (laughs) This is really no way to be, you know, crying all the time, Mm -hmm. Um, just getting upset, not hiding the fights and lying to people that were close to me and always pretending to be okay because I would never tell anyone what was happening Mm -hmm. what we would fight about but you know your family and your friends they know when you're unhappy Um, I'm pretty much um, you can predict when I'm unhappy or um, happy right Um, and they could they could tell and so once you once you kind of ended that relationship you do feel a whole lot better like free because you didn't have that thing hanging over your head and you didn't have to worry about somebody, you know, taking off on you or, you know, being wild, crazy in public or embarrassing you, you're, you know, saying something and making you cry. how did you feel after all of that was done? I didn't realize how heavy of a weight that was. And I think it was also for him. Um, I just sensed it took some time. It wasn't like overnight. I definitely had, uh, a few moments like my sister and I traveled for work and I was you know I was just in a mood of just like I'm gonna do whatever I want like just be free mm-hmm. because being in the relationship was a little bit it wasn't freeing it was very I was such an anxious person constantly like trying to understand how I can make this better mm-hmm. and I realized nothing I could have I couldn't make this better it had to be the other person committing to be like, this stops now. Um, and 
I had a few moments of just not really caring what I was doing. I was either just going to have fun and just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. And I remember one trip we had um, and, you know, we were in a good, beautiful place. I think it was Helsinki and I was really unhappy. I was, I was very social, but I was a very unhappy person. And um, at that time I was just, you know, when you feel like you're not in your body, mm-hmm. out of body, you, it's like you're watching yourself from 5,000 feet, right? Yeah. That's what I felt. I was like, I've been through this whole 10 year thing. It doesn't seem like it's, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I was like, what the momentary things that you could do was eat good food, um, see a nice place, but it wasn't really answering the question of what's going to make you happy, right? And I remember someone brought up research and happiness, and I was, I was going through a couple of years of thinking everything was irrational. Mm-hmm. And there could never be logic applied to life. Mm-hmm. And that you could never predict. I was basically dating someone who was like Hunter S. Thompson. Um, and just, you know, those people that push themselves to the edge. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, was, it got to a point it's like, okay, that was kind of a light bulb moment. Be like, okay, happiness, there is a science to it. Mm-hmm. The things that you put in your body, um, how you think. There are books written about this and I had to, that's kind of where I go, okay, like you got to start making a little bit of changes. And so what happened next? Um, it took some time. It took a bit of a, it started out with what I know best or like what I love is food. Mm-hmm. I started uh, trying to just eat cleanly. Uh, I started not to drink. And one of the things that, that I did in that year when I got back from that trip was journaling Mm. it's so simple it's like pen and paper but putting your thoughts on paper and having um, thoughts that start out as good rather than anger is so empowering like I, I can't explain it enough to women that you feel like writing something on paper is useless but just do it every day ask yourself really crazy questions like how would you like to die or what is life about and answer them and in the end of the year um you'd feel so much more relieved that you know yourself better and i i spent a year like that you know drinking a cup of tea or sometimes even a glass of wine with my journal and and i slow, slowly started to see a change but it took a while it took about I would say three three years because it was like a year of someone here mm-hmm. a year and a bit and honestly I because it was such a tumultuous time my timelines are way off mm-hmm. but I after my trip I started to heal myself that's uh, good and, and yeah. so and, and so it, it after I mean, well, you know, you had like five, more than five years of, you know, so it's like, it's not going to, it took five years to get there. It's definitely going to take, uh, mm. hopefully it won't take that long, but it took you long enough for you to kind of come back to your baseline, right? Mm. Of how you've, you, you, you've learned so much in all of the time, but then uh, you also started a podcast um, that talks about relationships and you talk about 
entrepreneurial and and success. So what's well, how how did that come about? Okay, so last year during the pandemic, I had so many plans about you know traveling, uh, pursuing my work for the culinary school, our family business, um, CCA Manila, and COVID happened, and you know you were forced to be at home again and be actually a, a month before COVID, I had chickenpox. Oh no! So I was already in, I was already in quarantine for a month before COVID. COVID. So. And, you know, my doctor was like, you should have had a vaccine. Like, I don't understand why you didn't have a chicken pox. I was like, you know what? I don't know. Uh, but I was already just being by myself by then. And when COVID happened, I was like, okay, there's another one. You know, it's the world is going through this. You're not alone. And you've spent already the year beforehand in your own thoughts. What's another year? What's mm-hmm. a few months when mm-hmm. you know, we all thought about it being right. a few months? And around August, um, I think I was uh, kind of in a virtual romance or Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call it, virtual friendship. Mm-hmm. And there was a misunderstanding about communication. There was a word that was used. Um, and this pers- person used the word in a bit. And, you know, you realize like you spend so much time trying to find a partner. Of course, it's different in your culture because those are arranged, right? Mm-hmm. In our family, like we fight against the arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. There, it sometimes give in, but... Um, we don't have the formalities. And at that time, he used the word in a bit. And I remember telling my friend, I was like, I'm really confused with men. Like they, I think he said, in a, I'll call you in a bit, which is a few hours. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, in a bit, that's like two minutes to me. And <laughs> of course, you're like, you don't want to be a needy woman that's like, two minutes is up. <laughs> that is in a bit. Mm-hmm. And then I just discussed it with my friends. And I was like, is funny right like you know we spend our time trying to find a soulmate a partner and and in a bit can put you off right and my friend was like you know I've always wanted to start a podcast on relationships I was like it's like wait a minute like that's not my career <laughs> I, I was like no no I'm not gonna do it and I was laughing at her I was like oh, okay I'm not gonna do it <laughs> I am not gonna reveal all like the things I worry about and I'm anxious about on a show right and I remember I was in my family home one of the quarantine weeks and I said yeah my friend um, my childhood friend wants to do a podcast and they're like you should do it like mm-hmm. be controversial at once because I think they think I'm free spirited but not controversial i would always because do you're the, the oldest thing. good child you know you always follow the rules right yeah. you're like do something different mm-hmm. or if i break it it would be underground like <laughs> they just discover if it's okay and then so they do it i was like um okay i was like fine i'll try it. what am i gonna do during covid mm-hmm. work and you know, i need some kind of hobby and so we did it and what I realized in all the topics we've discussed from infidelity, um, from ghosting, from virtual dating, from flirting, all these things, like I came across this quote from Esther Perel, who is a known relationship expert. And she says something like the lines of the quality of your relationship determine the quality of your life. Mm. And I just think about it so much. I've spent you know, I'm 31 and 
I worked so hard in school and I worked so hard in life and clocking in the hours. Um, but fundamentally, my success was influenced by my relationships. If I was not in a happy place with people, my success did not follow. You know, some of my happiest moments was probably when my relationship was sane and healthy and beautiful. And I, I was like, and I started to meet women that were just so anxious. Like they, I'm sure you get this in your show, right? Mm -hmm. Whether there are worries that people have. And I'm like, if I just learned to be kinder in my relationships and the people that were interacting with me were kinder to me, we would have a better chance of success. Right. You have to probably be yeah. kind to yourself first. Right. Yeah. 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 That's a tough one. I think you beat yourself so hard on ourselves a lot. Like when we make mistakes, when we either blame ourselves or don't take the blame. Right. And finding the balance in between is like one of the toughest things you can do. Right. Um, yeah. And I was like, okay. I was like, that's the big question mark I have right now. If I fix my, not fix, if I make my relationships flourish, will it lead to all the goals or work stuff I want to do? I think it, I think <laughs> it may be the mark. other, I think it may be the other way around. If you're okay, happy with, thing. if you're in love with yourself, then everybody mm. else will fall in love with you because they want to be mm. with you. It took me a long time to understand that, you know, because it's. What was your light bulb moment, by the way? I'm curious. My light bulb moment was, you know, I'm by nature. I'm a, a very positive person. I find it very hard to stay down in the dumps. It's very exhausting. And, you know, when you were like, like just like how you said, it was uh, uh, you realize that you can't control other people. You can only control your reaction to whatever situation is around you. And the moment I realized that, it was, oh, it was like amazing because I'm like, wait, I'm not responsible if that person's in a bad mood. Am I responsible if that person's yelling and screaming in public or, you know, or, or doing something? I am not responsible for another person's happiness. I'm only responsible mm. for me. But that doesn't happen unless you look at you and you fall in love with you. I love me. Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't mind living my whole life with me because I'm so awesome. <laughs> it sounds corny, but it's like, yeah, this is great. But the moment you do that, it's like everybody's like, what did, what did she have? You know, what does she have for breakfast? I want to have what she's having. <laughs> But it's just the way you look at life and then you realize that it ain't that bad. You know, if people are looking at life, yeah. it's because, you know, they always say, if you have anxiety, it's because you're worried about the future. And if you have, if, and if you have depression, it's because you're worried about the past. So if you just focus on the present, everything yeah. will fall into place. So that's the way I look mm -hmm. at it. You know, life's too short. Being I got so many things to do. I'm sorry? Yeah, being present is truly being present is so tough. Yes. Um, I know that a lot of people are talking about this, whether they're meditating, um, just enjoying every moment. But 
it's so tough because the world builds you know from college to even in our program people are always having to think so forward or look back at their experiences when in reality it's like i don't know like it's not worth it you can make yourself anxious i mean you can <laughs> only plan so much you know there's there's only so much you can do so you plan for that and if it doesn't work out something else mm. will pan out but you know it takes a long it, it it does take a while to finally come around to that right because you're like you're like no everything has to be the way you planned it well man proposes and god disposes so you know it's like you can only yeah. plan so much and after that you can just like go with the flow that's what yeah, that, yeah after some because it's not worth it it really isn't you know but being now and one of the things that i realize is that freedom is for like your quest for freedom is forever <laughs> I don't think you there's one specific moment um but yeah you know looking back at all your experiences you know and knowing what you know now what would you tell your younger self everything i'm still telling her now <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're still learning i i spend a lot of time i i find peace in walking <laughs> and writing and what i tell myself is just you need to take it day by day and not get attached to outcome um and enjoy every moment um i know that sounds like a cliche but the minute you get so attached to an outcome like let's say with podcasting if you want to be like so focused and be like i'm going to make money out of this mm-hmm. yeah it's okay to work towards that but you will get disappointed in many moments mm-hmm. so if you're not going through the the journey and thinking and finding little joys in between that you're going to end up disappointed and nothing hurts more than being disappointed you know when you're a child like you hate hearing from your parents the whole disappointment mm-hmm. and so when you're going through life and you keep you keep reminiscing or reflecting on the disappointment it's just like going back to childhood and being disappointed that you heard it from your parents right, right uh so i try not to be disappointed i try to find happiness in what i'm doing on a day-to-day basis but i guess i would tell my younger self to be surrounded by good people and never um be attached to outcome yeah that that's a that's a tough one you know because we're we are programmed to it's like okay how much are you going to get or what's your score going to be or how many downloads are you going to get how you know how much money are you going to make it's always that so that is that is a tough one but it's important because you know that doesn't that doesn't define your happiness right so you are now an entrepreneur you're yeah. a podcast host you work in your family business you write among other things so what advice would you want to give other young women who want to become an entrepreneur what would you tell them what's your top 3 number 1 is reading i cannot i focus on your consumption diet i know we love watching reality shows there are you know trash on tv that we love even eating bad food is um <laughs> like fun but i would say number 1 is your consumption diet read it will save your life get tired watch a documentary watch a film but listen to music but 
I, I can't express enough how powerful reading is and how it can really take away your perspective. Uh, I mean, not take away, sorry, give you a fresher perspective. Uh, and secondly is, you know, yours is some of the five people you hang out with the most. Mm -hmm. And it takes, you know, you can always say, I'll keep one toxic person because you love them so much. But trust me, take that one person out and your entire life can change. Oh, yes. And lastly is um, journal. Journal and uh, walk a lot and find joy and not doing so much and be reflective of yourself. Um, and I guess the last part is ask the big questions. It's annoying to ask yourself every day, what's the purpose of life? But mm -hmm. do it, <laughs> do it. It might well, make you change. Um, I, I, I guess those three things for me is like trying to always refresh your perspective and, I have to add one more thing. Sure. Eat good food. Yes. Real food that makes you happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. You know, thank you, Bea. I really appreciate you taking the time um, to talk to me today. You know, for, once, for someone so young, you have such an amazing perspective on life. It's like you've, all, you've gone through so much, even though you're so young. And I really, uh, I'm really, uh, you know, impressed by uh, how you're looking at life because it has taken me forever to even think about things like that. So good luck to you. I know your show is amazing and uh, I wish you the very best of luck and thank you. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe. And if you love the show, please leave a review. Just remember, you could be one story away from being inspired.